Tiffany Gambone, President and CEO of Junior Achievement in Southeastern Pennsylvania. We equip young people for economic mobility and the pursuit of their own ambitions. On today's episode, we have Michael Pompey. He's the Chief Information and Transformation Officer at the Girl Scouts of Eastern Pennsylvania. Yes, I am. More importantly, maybe, Mike has been my friend for 20 years. Aww. And the individual who convinced me that work is what you do, not where you do it, which has come in handy, particularly the past couple of years. Yes, so is. I'm really happy to have Mike join us today. Um, we're going to talk about a couple of things, but really all related to technology, AI, young people, the things we both care about, um, I think the most. So welcome, Mike. Thank you for inviting me, Stephanie. This is, this is pretty good. I'm excited to have this conversation. So I, I want folks to get to know Mike, because I've known you for a very long time, and I could probably tell stories for days, but we don't have that kind of time either. Thank you. Um, so if you don't mind, just sharing a little bit about yourself and particularly your professional journey. Sure. So, you know, for folks who haven't had the opportunity or, or privilege to have met me, I am a high-energy individual. Um, I love bringing uh, humor and fun and curiosity to anything that I do, and that's always been the way I've done my work. As far as my pathway into technology, it's, it's been an interesting ride. I almost... Uh, describe it, uh, if you're a Star Wars fan, uh, like Lando Calrissian. I've done a little bit of this, a little bit of that. So I started out my career um, heavily in engineering, um, mechanical engineering, electrical engineering. Loved the practice, but hated my schoolwork, hated that idea. Uh, so, you know, like a lot of young people, I bounced around for a little bit, found myself in criminal investigations, criminology kind of classes, and loved it. Loved the exploration, loved the investigation. Um, so graduated with an engineering degree, graduated with a criminology degree, and then I started working uh, within the court systems as a probation officer for juveniles. And the first thing I saw was the amount of work and energy sending kids to jail versus using information that could perhaps prevent them from having to be involved. I saw that immediately and it broke my heart. And so I told myself, you know what, I'm working on the wrong end of the spectrum. I gotta get in front of it. And so I use a lot of my skills back then to develop software, develop tracking systems to help organizations that worked with young people and their families to use the data upstream to prevent them from getting involved. So that's how I started. But with every organization I found, None of them had the person on site that knew the insides and outs of technology that could say, hey, we could do something different. And so I found that need and kind of followed it, you know, this meandering stream to where I've been today. So there's a lot of things that Mike and I um, have in common. There's a lot of differences um, yes. as well. Um, our, our sense of humor that I think we bring to both life and the work. I, I was debating how long it was going to take Mike to bring Star Wars into the conversation, mm. and I think it was under three minutes if I <laughs> did my quick calculation. Yes. Um, but for those of you to remember an episode, a few episodes ago, when I talked about my journey, one of the things Mike and I have in common is our journey to get to where we are. Um, both was a little bit, you know, zigzaggy, but we both started in the criminal justice space. We both had that kind of aha moment that we realized we wanted to do something different um, and we took paths in the nonprofit sector a little bit of a different path you you the technology side me not so much um, but still um, you know working with young people so I, I like to kind of bring back that that correlation um, so Mike you've spent gosh 20 plus years um, not only in nonprofits but really immersing yourself in trends and being really cutting edge in the technology space mm -hmm. could you talk a little bit around your insight into tech careers particularly at JA as we think about preparing young people to be future ready for jobs that we don't even know exist, what insights do you have for our audience? Right. Well, it's interesting in that technology has always been that space that's constantly changing. So there's constantly opportunities. And for some people, 
that's exciting. It's exhilarating to know that, hey, around the next corner is something unknown. How can I prepare for it? What can I do now? For others, it's scary because within the span of a few years, complete industries, complete ways of work can either change, be modified, or even just disappear, right? Um, And so that's one of the things. Insights regarding the technology space, we already have heard it. We've already seen pieces of it. We know artificial intelligence, right? The different models are coming down the pipe, whether you want it to or not. Data is big and key because all of these systems, whether it's your Alexa, whether it's your Google device, they're all generating tons of data. Folks need to uh, absorb it, use it, churn it, and then turning it to actionable insights. But at the end of the day, we also know that people are yearning for a different uh, type of experience, right? Folks went from the desktop to the laptop to the mobile phone. What's next, right? Is it going to be the neural link brain implant? Is it going to be something else? We know that people crave a different uh, uh, interaction with their technology and all of these things can be at the same time exciting, but also very scary as to what's coming up next. I appreciate that. And before we were uh, recording this episode, Mike and I were talking a little bit about as parents of of individuals, a little bit different in age, but still young people. um, And what we're just even seeing in our in our own lives at home and, and in the classroom. For our young people, again, we work with youth ages 5 through 25, so a pretty big spectrum. Um, many of them are thinking about careers in technology. Some of them have no idea what that means. What advice mm-hmm. would you give young people? What should they be doing now sure. being exposed to thinking about? Sure. So I would say the first thing I might tell any young person that's interested in t- uh, career in technology, even if you don't know anything about it, right? So the first thing I would tell you is, one, stay curious. All right. That's number one. Stay curious because there is no one path to any destination with technology. There's a million different ways to get there. So first, stay curious. The second piece I would tell you to do is start exploring now. Um, A lot of the foundational pieces of technology that I had to learn when I was coming through have already been built. So you don't necessarily need to know everything. You can leverage a lot of different tools. So if you're interested in AI, Understanding how it works, not being scared the fact that it requires math and statistics and programming. Don't let that scare you or throw you off because there are tools and there are other ways to accelerate how quickly you learn that. I can tell you from my experience, um, I was burned on the idea of math by my school teachers, right? And a lot of times people are burned off of a subject just because the way someone attempted to teach it to you. There are so many different resources available for you now. You can learn it in a different way. So those would be the things I would say. Also, don't be afraid. A lot of people are wondering, oh my goodness, is AI going to get rid of my job? I will put it this way. AI is going to be very disruptive. For some jobs, it may change what they do. For others, it could possibly eliminate. But at the end of the day, it will. It has the potential to create far more than it displaces. So don't get caught up in the fear that I can't go into technology because I'm going to be replaced by a robot or some AI script. There was so much that you said, um, you know, a couple of things kind of stand out for me. For the adults that are listening, remember that regardless of what you're teaching young people about traditional curriculum, financial education, helping expose them to careers, the content is important, but so is their interaction and engagement with you. So I, I hope folks can take that away with them. Um, for the young people, not to be afraid uh, is really important because it is scary for a lot of folks. I appreciate you naming sure, that. Sure. And it's evolving pretty quickly. It's speeds quickly. that even you and I did not experience when we right. were younger, much right. younger. Um, and you talked a little bit around the impact on, on careers, and I appreciate the acknowledgement that it's going to be what did the word you use? Not disruptive. Transfer, disruptive. Thank you. Yes. Um, 
And it is going to change things, but not to allow that to impact people's decisions around what that means for their future. Could you talk a little bit more, particularly around the tech and white collar sector and what you see potentially happening in that space? Sure, sure. So AI and the different models has the potential to change how work is done. So if we think back during a pandemic, when folks had to stay inside, but you still needed to see the doctor, what did you do? Well, we saw the emergence of telemedicine, people logging in online to to have their meeting with their doctor. Now, the underlying pieces of that had always been there, but there was never the need to change what you did. So with white-collar vocations, there's a similar potential for that happening. So for instance, people, let's say now, may tend to, hey, I need to hire an accountant to do this body of work. There could be a time within the next two or three years where there's a service where you could upload those set of documents and have a machine learning trained uh, network do those preparations for you and be almost as good as the person. So what you may see is where do you pay for the personal one-on-one touch and where are you fine with getting the automated response? No different than when we, you know, order something online or go out to dinner now right? You might do Uber Eats for something because that's fine for what you need. You may decide to spend more money and go out to dinner for the one-on-one interaction. That type of disruption is coming for a lot of different sectors. I see it happening for a lot of work um, that's uh, uh, analysis-based. I see it for work that can be trained uh, and be done that was traditionally outsourced. You may see those things kind of being converted to these different type of models. So the jobs that AI is going to take last will probably be those jobs designing AI. So if you are scared and concerned about that, then maybe go into that particular field. Um, OpenAI, the foundation that runs ChatGPT, one of the most famous models out there, they pay their AI engineers over a million dollars a year because AI can't do that job. Now, one thing to say, it can't do that job now. What's going to happen in the future? I'm no expert, neither is anybody else, but knowing the skill sets, knowing the things that make you different and differentiate you within whatever organization, whatever landscape you work, is probably more important than the technology piece by itself. Me, thank you for that. Part of why I was interested in having you join me, one, because I wanted the opportunity to have this discussion with you in particular, but a few episodes ago, one of our students who I had an opportunity to interview grilled me on AI and asked me my perspective. And to be honest with you, I probably hadn't given it enough thought at that time. And I have since then as a parent, as a nonprofit leader, as somebody who works with school districts and nonprofits and corporate partners, I feel it is my responsibility to understand it and how it impacts our work now. And I'm learning Mm -hmm. um, every day. I had a conversation with a superintendent of one of our school districts a couple of weeks ago And it was very similar to many conversations I've had around, it's scary, I don't know what to do, how do I address things like plagiarism, and I think that fear is real, and and, and individuals and districts are really struggling with how to address it, but there's a lot of potential and opportunity as well, and I don't hear enough of that. So do you feel mind sharing a little bit about that? Sure, sure. I mean, one of the things that I've seen, you know, from the technology perspective is just some of the potential to change how we deliver Uh, value to our our constituents, whether it's young people, whether it's customers. So if you think about in the education sphere, when COVID hit and a lot of people started doing e-learning from home, they saw something, they got a wake-up call. Do I need to pay X amount of dollars to go to this location to learn this, or are there other ways for me to learn this material? Some schools were able to make that pivot and started providing the content for free and maybe paying for the networking, right, for the, you know, the communal get-together and changing their model. In that model, do you need to hold on to all of the different 
buildings. You need to hold on to all these different things, right? So some of the potential is going to be affected by how quickly organizations can adapt and pivot to change what they do and how they do. So it provides us a lot of opportunity. I see within the education space a change from perhaps pushing, I hate to say it, but pushing worksheets, pushing assignments to deliver a grade versus giving uh, an assignment to deliver an experience. But if an organization is only arranged to evaluate on a grade or to evaluate on the achievement of some external benchmark, it's going to be hard for them to pivot, especially when anyone can now get that benchmark for very low effort and for free. So that's going to be the things that changes a lot, a lot of opportunities for organizations that can make that pivot. And listen, 20 years from now, the college experience might look completely different. And, you know, when I went to school way, way many moons ago, right, you know, you signed up for your class, you had your classes that weeded you out that everybody tried to get in, you know, you put in your four or five years, you got your piece of paper. And while it wasn't a guarantee, right, to a good life, it, it was a ticket to the dance. Um, now, do you even need that ticket? Is that dance even still going on? What's next coming? And I think for, for organizations that aren't willing to be courageous and explore what, what different could look like and feel like, they are going to get left behind. It's no different than the brick and mortar stores when, um, you know, Web 2.0 came out and folks weren't able to make that pivot. They soon found themselves out of customers and then shortly thereafter out of business. You, you kind of moved into the direction that I, that I was going to ask next, you know, listening to you talk, I think sometimes when things are really scary and AI is definitely scary for a lot of individuals and institutions, being able to reflect back to moments in our history, even particularly recent history, where we have had something similar, not exactly the same, that we've had to address and we got through it and some didn't get through it. Some and so you gave one it. example. Are there any others to give people a little bit of comfort of change can be really good and positive. And if we're responsible and we understand it and we use it ethically, et cetera, are there other examples of, of again, in recent history where we've seen those kinds of moments? Sure. So, you know, I, when I think about the emergence of, you know, a, you know, generative AI and different models, it, you know, it takes me back to, you know, the, the latest iteration was the cloud, right? When a lot of organizations started moving and getting rid of equipment on site um, and leveraging someone else's equipment, you know, in a much larger uh, capacity that could scale better than doing it themselves. Now, what did that mean? A lot of the jobs where someone was actually installing network gear and running cabling and things like that, you know, that disappeared because you didn't necessarily need it anymore. You were using infrastructure that all was already in place. Prior to that, when we saw the emergence of, you know, inter, um, you know, internet commerce really take off, right? And you saw places like, you know, your, your Amazons, your Walmarts and other places really take off and put a lot of smaller places out of business, right? That was one thing where we saw a particular pivot. Um, prior to that, when folks were, you know, doing everything, um, you know, uh, by, by letter or by mail, right? You had faxes and FedEx and things of that nature. Each one of these things changed uh, the landscape regarding how business was done. Business was still being done. It was done differently. Not everybody uh, that entered into the challenge, right, into that, that gap, so to speak, made it on the other side. And some that emerged were completely brand new. And we'd see them get uh, eliminated during the next gap. So, you know, this speed of change is only going to be increasing, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you, how you look at it, but understanding that and understanding that nothing is stable. I think as human beings, we love stability. We love for things to be the exact same. I don't like change. I wanted to be here. But in reality, that's an illusion. It was never there to begin with. It's always been changing. A change overseas can show up and change your entire day within a 24-hour time span. We've seen that in recent weeks. Absolutely. Right? So that's the world we live in. And unfortunately or fortunately, you know, we, we got to understand that. 
So if I'm somebody, you know, who's listening and I'm like, AI, what? Or where do I start? Or (laughs) how do I start to get comfortable? Any advice? All right. So it's interesting that you say that, right? Because, you know, this AI stuff has been around for around 20 years. But within the last year, we see, you know, the hype train really getting into effect and everyone talking about it. You know, Microsoft saying, hey, I'm bringing this new model. We're going to call it Copilot. We're bringing it to you whether you're ready or not, kicking or screaming, right? So it's got everyone talking about it. If you have no idea about AI whatsoever and you want to learn Here's the first thing I'm going to tell you to do, all right? Get out your computer, get out your mobile device, and it's going to sound funny, go to YouTube. Just do a quick, simple search. You're just going to find a lot of little things there that people from all over the world have done. Now, that's not going to be your end-all to be-all, but at least you'll know the different models, how neural networks work, how they are really good at giving you the impression of intelligence, right? They're basically really good statistical programs that are so fast at predicting your next word, it almost feels like you're talking to someone, right? So that's what we're talking about. Now, the next step, if you're interested in learning, okay, what are the pieces that you need to know to order to move into this world? Well, we talked about them earlier. It's math, statistics, and programming. Again, you don't have to know anything about it, but that's just how they work, right? Someone feeds a program, a lot of data, that way it's able to calculate statistics. Boom, you just got it. I just gave you a quick course regarding how AI works. Now, you wanna go play with it? Let's go play with it, right? Microsoft is the predominant stake owner of OpenAI's ChatGPT. If you've got an email account, sign up for an account and just play with it. You will see how it works. Now, if you wanna take it to the next step to start applying it in your life, then there are lots of tools, lots of online courses you could take from you know Coursera, uh, Credly, different places are offering various certifications. And again, it's not like it was 10 years ago. You don't have to go to school to learn this in a brick and mortar. You can do this in your spare time if you want to. And if it's something that's interesting to you, then follow it and see where it goes. Learn, play, explore. There okay. we go. So to, to, we could talk about probably AI for all day. Yes. But to, to go back a little bit to kind of technology at large and whether it's careers in tech or just general technology, quite honestly, for any career, why is it important to ensure that young people, particularly for JA and other nonprofits like us, expose young people to experiences related to technology? You know, it's so important, you know, and I'm going to kind of out my own discipline a little bit here with this question because um, data Information is power and leverage, right? And a lot of times folks aren't going to tell you what's possible, right? Because they've got a vested interest in you not knowing the information. And for a young person who, let's say, you know, your parents may not necessarily work in this field, it can be hard for you to be exposed to the opportunities because let's face it, as a tech leader, if I need something, I don't have to go and post publicly. I call one of my other tech friends or, or, or colleagues, and boom, I've got a resource. And that's a way a lot of different things happen. Um, so exposure is so important. The other reason why exposure is important is that for some people, you just don't know what you don't know. And for me, this was driven home early in my career. Early in my career, I, I remember I was in Florida, I was driving, I saw this weird billboard. It had all these weird numbers and stuff all over it. So I just took a picture of it, you know, and I asked someone, hey, does anyone know what this means? Does anyone know what this means? And I finally, maybe like a week or two later, ran to someone and goes, oh, That was a job posting for a particular company back at the time whose name was Google. And they were advertising for particular people. Now, if you were just driving and did not know what that meant, you just went on. But for someone who knew the inside scoop, they were able to, oh, well, let me decipher this. Let me do this. And they had a leg up on someone who didn't know. So exposure is so important because a lot of opportunities, a lot of things that could lead to potential paths, you are never going to see unless someone purposely takes the time 
invest in you and take you to these conversations and expose you. Bring leaders into the classroom. Take kids to, you know, work events. If you happen to work in this area, let them see how this stuff works out. Without even prompting, Mike outlined some of our, our, excuse me, our volunteer opportunities with Junior Achievement. So thank you for doing that. You're my, my last question, I could, I could talk about this all day, is I'm a nonprofit leader whose responsibility, because I take it as a responsibility, is to ensure young people in our region, ages 5 through 25, are future ready. What advice do you have for me? So the advice I would have for you, as well as any other nonprofit leader that wants to ensure their youth are ready for the future Get yourself and get your staff comfortable with having conversations about what the future could look like, even if it means a change in the landscape of how you do business. A lot of times nonprofit leaders will get so scared of changing the model because they're so good at what currently works, they're not ready for what needs to happen around the corner and find themselves out of business. You find your kids walking, you find your customers walking. So that would be the first thing I would tell you. Get comfortable with the concepts and the conversation about the future, then skill yourself, skill up your staff because youth you know, are savvy consumers. They know when they're getting their needs met or not. And if you see your youth walking, there might be a reason for it. I appreciate that. I live with an eight-year-old. I live with one of those young people and I definitely can see she knows far more than I do and is teaching me on a daily basis. Well, thank you. I might have to have you back because I think think we have more to talk about, but I want to thank you for joining us today. And I hope anyone who's listening, my team, our corporate partners, our educators, young people, Anyone out in the community learned something today um, about how they can support young people as they're exploring AI, but also just technology at large. So for anyone who is interested in getting involved with JA and how you can support us, visit us at southeasternpa.ja.org. Let's work together to change the rules of the game and give young people access to opportunities. Thank you. Thank you.